podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At the Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes... And deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Rashford, he's in here. He scores! Marcus Rashford! Takes yet another step up the ladder. And it's a lad from Manchester who scored. Only chance in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. Thank you. Only chance in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. Thank you, man. Bars in my head like shampoo. Violate my squad, might bang you. Only champs in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. Thank you, man. Bars in my head like shampoo. Violate my squad, might bang you. Only champs in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. guys welcome back it's another episode of touchline fracas make united great again the mugger version you've got myself stevie another regular and elijah um and we've got two guests today first i'll start with alex how you doing bro you might be on mute you know that's a terrible start bro can you hear me yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, the headphone thing not working right now, G. Is it not working yet? <laughs> uh, he's reading it. He's reading it. How you doing, though? Not bad, not bad. How you doing, bro? 
Uh, we're all good. We're all gravy. And then we've got we've got our our guest for today, Carl Anker, the athletic journalist, the United fan who didn't own a kit until he was seventeen. We're gonna have to investigate that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to the pod. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. It's good. It's good. It's good. We're calling it Taxline Fracas, not Taxline Fracar. We're not we're not going for the French one. <laughs> no, we're keeping it strictly English. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, how you doing though? Obviously, you've got a you've got a new job now. Um, been at the Athletic for, for what is your second season now, right? Third, the third. So uh, the second full time season. I was freelancing covering Manchester United, uh, eighteen nineteen, and then after UK launched, uh, and I covered Southampton, and now I'm back covering Manchester United. So, yeah. It's first time covering Manchester United full time in the press conferences, living in Manchester, talking to a football manager every single week. So this will be fun. Yeah. And how was it? How was it at Southampton? Obviously, um, they had a really interesting season last season. Struggled a bit at the start, and obviously had that that crazy defeat. It seemed to be struggling uh, really badly at home, um, but somehow they sort of turned the tide. And Hassan Hootel done a really good job towards the end of the season. How was it sort of covering them over the course of the season? It's really good. I describe it as basically I did a master's degree in Southampton Football Club. Um, <laughs> so that was my first season as an on-beat reporter, first season asking managers questions in press conferences, you know, making trips to the training ground, talking to football agents, making contacts, um, being allowed to experiment with perspectives on the game and write about things I thought were pressing to me as well. And it was a really nice experience learning about the way I like writing about football and how that impacts on the fan base and whether or not, you know, certain styles of football respond well to a certain fan base. So, you know, mm-hmm. I could not write about Southampton in the way I did if it wasn't for Ralph Hassan being the manager. If the manager was, say, a Mark Hughes or a, or a Sam Allardyce, I wouldn't be able to write about XG and pressing systems and whatnot. So learning all that stuff and learning adaptations and, and learning how to come up with original ideas was really, really fun. Uh, and that season was really fun as well because when you are following uh, a mid-table or sometimes bottom-half team, you get into parts where they're going through losing streaks, through winning streaks. Southampton didn't draw too much, um, but it is quite interesting when you learn how to write about conclusions in games that end 1-1, for example, mm-hmm. which is one of the hardest games of all time. You know, That's one of the hardest results that I write a conclusion about. <laughs> yeah, I completely get that. But yeah, and obviously now you've joined the United team um, so yeah, what, what does your role look like at the minute? Um, obviously, you've got you've got Laurie and Andy there as well. So what what are you focusing on in particular? What are you hoping to bring this season? Um, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. So not only will I be the Manchester United correspondent week to week along with Laurie, but I'll also be uh, a general columnist from the Athletic. It just got announced last Friday. So every Friday, uh, you can go to athletic.com and you will be able to get what we're calling unrivaled analysis on the big issues in the game of football from Karl Anker. Uh, When they say unrivaled, I think it means no one can write quite like me rather than (laughs) I'm the best in the world. Uh, I've still got a lot to learn, but you know, no one's going to quite make jokes in the same way I do. I think, I mean, I used a lost analogy to describe Lindelof recently. So I don't think there are many people on the planet doing that. (laughs) Congrats, man. The bag is coming through. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we hope we hope we pray I think I one of the really interesting things this season is Laurie Whitwell is, is a fantastic journalist and he's one with uh, a really great contact book and he's really good 
with people. Uh, and I don't know if you saw during uh, one of the weeks earlier in the season, last season, where Jamie Vardy did the worm and tagged Laurie in it because of Laurie's work in the Midlands when he was covering Leicester yeah. and, and the work there. So he's fantastic in his relationship with footballers and people working in football. Uh, whereas my one is very much, you know, if you give me a spreadsheet to register passes into the final third or to explain the differences between uh, a passing channel pressing system compared to a player pressing system, I can explain that stuff and I can do that stuff pretty well. So I think we've got, we've got a good... A good link-up yeah. coming soon. And with Andy Mittenot as well, I think we've got, we've got the best front three in Manchester that isn't playing <laughs> football every week. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Um, okay, yeah, we're going to get into some of that analytical stuff um, later on into the pod. Um, but obviously, first things first, the Premier League's back. Um, United played a friendly um, over the weekend, uh, lost to Villa. And uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to take from that game or, or discuss um Alex I'm going to come to you first um because obviously we lost that game 1-0 and um I think Harry Maguire was at fault or could be could be blamed for the goal that we conceded and it seems that this guy is defended by all journalists it's like journalists have a supporters club for Harry Maguire so Alex I want to come to you what's your thoughts on Harry Maguire and then I'm going to go to Elijah and then finally to you, Carl. And if you defend him, there's going to be smoke on this podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to get your take. Um, but yeah, Alex. Um, I, I saw, I didn't really watch the match, yeah, but I saw some clips. And then I saw a comment which summed up Harry Maguire for me perfectly. Someone said, I think it was Elijah actually. Someone said, ah, oh, he, he was looking away. He was looking away and he wasn't paying attention. And then the uh, Aston Villa attacker slipped in and said, that's how he got punched in, 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 in Greece. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Harry Maguire actually is like the most expensive. Like he has no, he doesn't pay attention to anything. Like I feel like, like, I feel like yeah, for, for what we got for that price, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. Like he doesn't pay attention. Like if you think about Harry Maguire's mistakes, and you think about what he does on the pitch. He does the basics. And even at that, sometimes it's just like, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, he's getting ripped. You know it. You know, in, even we bought him for, we bought him for how much? 80 million. Up front. Um, it, sorry? Up front. Yeah. Uh, ex <laughs> exactly. Very up important. Front. Very important to remember Manchester United played that in one lump sum rather than against. Up, up front. Exactly. <laughs> This is why I was struggling for Sancho. But anyway, that's no, what it's not. No, it's not. Well, uh, behave see, yourself. You see when they see when they got the facts. You see when they got the facts. <laughs> I'm, I'm a street um, ITK. You see me. <laughs> but um, no, nah, jokes aside, though, like we paid up front eight million, and I just thought to myself sometimes, just like it's like you can't get rid of him because he's the captain. You paid eighty million for your captain. It's just like uh, Elijah. Elijah, I'm gonna to come to you, the, the the tactical genius, the tactical wizard. What's what's your view? Can can we keep this guy as our principal centre back going forward? Yeah. I mean he can't he can't be the lead, for me he can't be the leading centre back. I think he would make a competent secondary centre back. I feel like like Alex said, he does the basics well, he can head off, he's decent on the ball in terms of position positioning and stuff like that he's okay he's like he's not bad at anything 
he's, he's like he's just he's slow which is fine if you're really in if you're really intelligent then it's okay that like we've seen Mursaka paired with Koscielny and with Mursaka he was positionally excellent composed on the ball like he he was a really good leader in the back line so so I feel like if you have that aspect then you're fine but with Maguire he's not at that level and then there's small things like that goal for example Watkin doesn't do a dove a double movement or anything he just goes in behind him and Maguire just doesn't take notice he does take notice that he's lost him until the ball's already gone past him and I was saying for I remember saying for the first Chelsea goal we conceded in the semi-final as well, how when balls come in across the box, I ideally want my centre-back to be able to deal with it, like, at the near post. But, I mean, that one was a bit more difficult because I think Shaw, Shaw, Shaw as well needs to do better. I think he kind of ambles across to Trezeguet rather than going down and closing intently so he doesn't get close enough to him to close down across. But Maguire, it was just... For me, it was just desperation that we needed a centre-back and we didn't want to look like we messed up once again and we just panicked and we just paid it all out and we just risked it. And, yeah, he's not impressive. He's a decent centre-back, but when you're at United and you paid eighth million and you're a captain, decent not, is, not, is nowhere good enough. I mean, there, there are times where I watch Maguire alongside Lindelof and I, I, I do not rate Lindelof one bit and I generally cannot tell the difference between them in terms of quality like it's like it's it's, it's really great to see because alongside someone so much better we can maybe get away with Maguire but we don't have that luxury and it's unlikely we're going to have that luxury because we spent so much on him so it's unlikely that we're going to unearth a gem for a lesser amount of money so we just it's just really frustrating because we know he's not going to get dropped. We know he's going to be captain, and it's just he's just so flawed. And to cover up his flaws, we just need to buy supreme talent around him. And I can't trust him not to do that. Cool, um, Carl. I can see I can see you chomping at the bit there, <laughs> itching itching to come and comment. So before before you start, because I was yeah I was reading an article on at the Athletic. Um, it was kind of towards the back end of the season and there was like a strong case made for Maguire and how he's improved United this season. And yeah, one of my key questions is why do journals defend Harry Maguire so much when his weaknesses are pretty glaring and obvious to see and it seems that they're exposed far too frequently for um, the price that we've obviously paid for him and for a, a guy who should be, um, or who is an England international. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I want you to convince me, Carl. Okay, all right then. First things first, I brought up the fact that they paid 80 million up front for Harry Maguire. Um, I think the best way to look at the 80 million is we are only in the last five years understanding how much we should have been paying for defenders. Okay? So... In the last three or four seasons, you've seen 50 million go for Carl Walker. You've seen 50 million now go for Ben Gilwell. You've now seen 50 million go for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Um, similarly, at goalkeeper, you've seen large sums being traded for Kepa and large sums being traded for Allison. Uh, in you know, when you compare it to 10, 15 years ago, we saw players of relative disquality going for fees half this amount. So it's a sort of 
the transfer fee market has sort of corrected itself and went, oh no, defenders are really important. And this is the base level per monetary fee. Um, so when the Harry Maguire deal went through last season, I said, well, I kind of equated it as Virgil van Dijk for 75 million was the most expensive centre-back in the world. But in hindsight, 75 million was probably too little. So I probably could have charged a lot more for it. Um, if Virgil van Dijk was going in the open market now, he'd probably be worth 150 million. And I'm seeing some slight nods of the head here, so I'm gonna keep going. Uh, if Virgil van Dijk two years, so let's go back. Two, let's go back. Virgil van Dijk two years ago, or two or three years ago in 2018, if he was going in the open market and we knew what we knew about defending that we know now, he'd be quoted 120, 150 million. And I think by that metric by this imagined metric I've made up and this imagined metric that quite a few people know, Harry Maguire for 80 million, eh, fine, okay. Mm, you know, kind of makes sense. Not world-breaking, but we'll do. Um, I think Elijah's very much hit the nail on the head here when he said one of the things about Harry Maguire is he's probably a number two. And he's probably not the amazing transformative centre-back that comes into a squad and transforms them overnight. But also... As I'm talking about Virgil, like you're not gonna get that. They don't exist, right? What I think another thing we're also reaching in terms of a journalist consensus and a scouting consensus is that football now and the way we play football requires so much from centre backs. People people very often say the level of defending is so much worse nowadays. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's the case. I think I think we're playing in a Premier League now that is between ten to fifteen percent faster than it was ten years ago which I've had expressed to me by a number of scouts and a number of people working within the game, that the Premier League is just so much quicker than what it used to be. And I think you're seeing a lot of big teams trying to play the high line. And I think when you look at Van Dijk and you look at these amazing centre-backs in the world, what you're seeing are centre-backs that have amazing footballing IQ, fantastic passing ability and or uh, ball-carrying ability, and most importantly, they're amazing with recovery runs, which just wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. Recovery runs, especially. When you look at that Liverpool side before Van Dijk came in, they played so high up the pitch that the moment someone broke forward, they absolutely fell to pot because there was no one quick enough to get back and make that tackle. And now they've got Van Dijk, Van Dijk can do that. And also Van Dijk has the match awareness and the cleverness to basically sit really, really deep. So if anything does happen, you can shoot up and clean this up. If you look at Manchester City, a large part of Manchester City's defensive scheme works on Vincent Company. Vincent Company, I don't think people would agree, would say he's the greatest centre back of all time in Premier League history, or he's top five. The most important thing Vincent Company did, and the thing that everyone can now see went wrong with Manchester City last season, was if something went wrong in Manchester City's midfield, and a team broke on the counter attack, Vincent Company would spring out that penalty or that back four and make a tackle or make a foul somewhere outside of the penalty area. Basically, reset the thing. Manchester City can drop deep. If you saw all or nothing, you saw about, you know, how Pep was talking about, you know, if someone breaks you on the transition, you make a foul. This thing of tactical fouling. Company was amazing at that. That's a very, very hard thing to do, to find a centre-back with amazing recovery runs. And if you want to right now talk about defenders that are really, really smart, ball-carrying, very, very good, and also can do those recovery runs that everyone bangs on about, you basically got seven centre-backs in the world ish and they're all 100 million tops and the majority of those centre-backs 
are under the age of 27. So we'll probably need a more experienced centre-back next to him. Right? Harry Maguire wasn't perfect, but he absolutely improved what was a very stodgy and a very weak defence for Manchester United. And the thing about, you know, when you look at the underlying numbers and you look at the way Manchester United are currently playing, he makes them better. And Manchester United are demonstrably worse when he's not there. Uh, you talk about Lindelof. Lindelof and Maguire are basically the same. The really interesting thing about that is Lindelof, it's been known since Lindelof was basically 21, that Lindelof plays better when he has an experienced centre-back next to him. The most experienced centre-back that's played next to him was Gramquist for Sweden in the World Cup. Right, his, his centre back partners have been Granquist, Chris Smalling, um, co members at Benfica, and now Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is the most experienced centre back partner, partner Lindelof's had. And this is the thing I think the journalists and the media go to defend Harry Maguire for a number of reasons that some of them, some of which I will not uh, agree wholly with. Uh, and there are certain assertions about a man's uh, background that I'm very much like, okay, he's being given the benefit of doubt here. But I definitely think what we're seeing in Harry Maguire and a lot of centre-backs, especially at the top end, is a very fast re-evaluation of how we look at centre-backs. And uh, it's something I really like saying and I like tweeting about often is it doesn't necessarily have to have been a defensive mistake to lead to a goal. Sometimes a goal can just happen. Also, goals in preseason don't count. Don't get heated. (laughs) No, I think, count. <laughs> I think you, you know, know what? what? That's that's. Oh, go on, Elijah. No, with, with, with everything you said, I understand. But with eighty, with eighty million for everything you said about, don't get bogged down on the price. Don't get bogged no, down on the price. No, like, because don't get bogged down on the price. No, you can't. You can't. You can't get bogged down on the price because you no, don't know. The, the, you don't. This is the thing. <laughs> you, you, um, when Carl Walker went for 50 million to Manchester City, that was the most expensive fullback we ever seen. 2020 has presented its share of challenges, and some of us are taking a hard look at our future. Can you imagine owning your own business? As an Amerispec franchise owner, you could have more security and control over your future and be there for your community with an essential service year round. You could join the most recognized brand and in home inspection services, Amerispec, and provide peace of mind to home buyers with low startup costs and excellent operational support, you can be a business for yourself, but not by yourself. Learn more at join.amerispec.com slash podcast. And we all went, you can't spend 50 million on a fullback. And he's like, well, I just did. And he goes, well, how do we know what 50 million worth of fullback gets you? And then you have to find out afterwards. And I think something similar has happened with Harry Maguire. It's basically the market recorrecting itself. What you're going to see now is basically Harry Maguire is going to set the bar for 80 million and then everything's going to correct itself. And then what you'll see next is better, better, you know, more ambitious, possibly quicker, you know, the sort of centre-backs that Twitter likes to gif and clip and meme, go for 90 million and go for 100 million. And then the 80 million that went for Harry Maguire, you all start going, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense now. <laughs> 50 million for Kyle Walker didn't make sense until Juan Basaka went for 50 million and then Ben Chua went for 50 million. And now you know what 50 million gets you. It gets you an English set fullback who's very good going in one direction. That's the benchmark yeah. 50 you know? And anything that any fullback costs more than that, you now know, oh, they're probably good at two directions. It's not, <laughs> oh, they pay too much for 50 million. It's now we understand what 50 million is. And it takes someone to be the first to set the benchmark. And you're going to get that with Harry Maguire. 80 million is a lot of money. And at the time when the purchase was made, it was probably too much. But Manchester United needed a centre-back and they needed someone to improve the defence. Harry Maguire did those things. And what you're going to see going forward 
is a lot more money for centre-backs that you will probably prefer. How much money do you think Upper Mencano is going to go for? He's going to go next season and he's going to go for half, half that. So that's... For half, really... for half of 80 million? Yeah, he is because... That, no, he's not. He's... Ahmed Khan is going to cost 100. He's going to that be a triple is his figure. Release clause. That's his release clause. So he's going to go for half that. You're going to, you're going to rely on an asterisk release clause to get out. What do you think yes, a player of Ahmed, What do you think a player of Ahmed Khan's talent should be worth in the transfer market with no release clause? For for me, he is everything. Like if if if, if you're paying 80 million for a defender, I understand with Ahmed Khan because he's young. He's got all those. He's got all those. I attribute that you talk about. So if See? it's the league correcting itself. This is what it takes. Yeah, it's basically, but, you need a purchase and then you need the market to recorrect yourself. And I think yeah, one of the but, big issues is everyone's getting quite annoyed because it was Harry Maguire that corrected itself. Uh, so, these things happen. All right, it's never guys, player you I'm going to have to call you lot there because otherwise we're going to spend an hour talking about Harry Maguire. And as much as I would love to bash Harry Maguire for an hour... We have to move on to some slightly more important stuff in the name of our transfer business. Alex, I'm coming back to you because I feel like in the group chat, yeah, you were, you were talking up the things this week saying that Man United have signed Thiago. I feel like I was, yeah, yeah, Carl, I was like that as well. I stayed very quiet. I stayed very quiet for about 72 hours. And then today I've seen an article which has basically said it's all faff. And now I don't know where to stand because I'm pretty sure a lot of men, a lot of men in that group chat put their life, their heart on that. And now this thing has gone quiet. So, Alex, I'm coming to you as our, our resident. Our resident I, is this still happening or not? I, I put on my head, Alex Alcantara tells you, yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> now, nah, honestly, I, I need, I need Thiago, like. I didn't think it was possible before because I heard Liverpool were going in 30 million bid. I said, that's a no-brainer for Klopp. Of course they're going to do it, but apparently apparently not. Apparently Liverpool don't even have money. I don't know. I don't know. But listen, I need Thiago at my club because if you think about it, yeah, I'm hearing um, McTominay and Fred may go on loan as well. For me, Donny van der Beek, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba, and um, that's it. And Matic. For me, that is a midfield I can carry through this season. I'm I'm happy. Like, if we don't get Sancho, getting Thiago, um, Reggaeton, Regulion, Regulion, <laughs> how do you say his name? Ragusso. <clears throat> getting those two, I can't lie. For me, I'm happy. Like, Thiago just won the Champions League and he was the maestro in the middle. Like, I watched him semi-final, final. I saw what he did to Barcelona. I saw what he did to PSG. Like, Nah, he, he's 29, he's still ready, still fit, still ready to go. Got grey hair, that's the wisdom coming through. Him and Pogba <laughs> link up. Pogba, Thiago link up. Guys, come on. You need to believe in the dream. I need it. I'm, but, I just need it. But Alex, because you, cause you, were, you were talking, you were talking big. Now, now it's like a dream again. So I want to know where we stand. No, no, I, I believe, I believe it's done. I be, from what we heard in the group chat, obviously <laughs> we have a journal, we have a journalist here. In, we have a, we have a professional nine, nine to five journalist in here. But I can't lie, from what we, from what it was looking like, it looked like it was done. And I'm buying a dream. I'm copying it. I copied the dream. For me, it's no TA twenty three already. You get it? All right. Um, Carl, are you, are you here to break hearts? Yeah, I'm always here to break hearts. I break hearts, <laughs> I break hearts, bread, and $50 bills. 
Well, is this is this is this rumor just a rumor? Is this not happening, or could there be something in the works? Oops. He's, <laughs> there's best <bare> suspense. <laughs> Oops. Look, the current conjecture, uh, as I understand it, is Tiago doesn't seem particularly happy with his current lot of Bayern Munich and is very much open to a move. Um, over in Germany, it's the same as it's always been, which is very much they're aware of interest from Liverpool. And Liverpool want to do negotiations. It's the way it is. If if Thiago ends up playing Premier League football in a red shirt, it is not likely it's in a Manchester United one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we, we what you've got here is a very interesting manifestation of how Manchester United scout and profile players in the transfer market now which can name up to maybe 20 to 50 players at any point in time. And then of that 20 to 50 player list, you have to make some form of preparatory work talking to agents and advisors as to be like, would you be open to going to Manchester United? Of course, when you do that with a club of Manchester United size, information such as that will often make certain sites. And then there's no goals. There's no doubt in my there's no doubt in my mind that at some point throughout the summer, someone at Manchester United went, Oh, would it be possible to get Thiago over? I don't think it's progressed past that. And sorry. <laughs> man, you're killing you're killing guys over here, Carl. Look, I've <laughs> said, I said this I said this in the DMs. I said and I've written about this previously in a column. I said the reason we, we buy into transfers and the reason we put so much into transfers is because transfer news is the packaging and selling of hope. And you're talking about don't break my dreams. It's all you're doing. It's dreams and hope and you're pushing hopes. Push your tea, push your transfers. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you need a little hard dose of reality. <laughs> all right. So, so give, me something, give me something more positive reality-wise. Are we going to be doing more business in this transfer window, what's what's the um, what's the sense coming out of the club? Obviously, we've been linked with uh, Regulon, um, Sancho deal. I, I can't tell whether it's happening, whether it's not. But I think I think that that laugh is an uneasy one as well. <laughs> you know how every day, every day, I get a DM from someone, which is Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your response? Don't talk to me. <laughs> Elijah. <You> subscribe. <laughs> Elijah, what are you telling me? What's happening? Somebody give me some good news. Because we, we need players. We do need players. What I saw today about Regulon from Spain, they're saying the talks intensified. Um, so, and then there was something from Fabrizio Romano saying that we're going to go in with an opening bid soon. Um, it'll, it'll be below Madrid's asking price, um, whatever. If Sancho, uh, apparently we're just looking at alternatives now, and I feel like just in, just in case the, the deal was dead, we're just going to have 
backup plans in place. So we just sworn that out right now from what I'm reading. But yeah, I mean, I, at the start of the summer, I didn't expect to sign more than two players. I thought those two players were going to be Sancho and Grealish. Um, it seems like Van der Beek was an alternative to Grealish because Villa stayed up. It's too expensive, so he went for Van der Beek. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like if now it's possible we could get three if we get reggaeton and another right winger. But yeah, I did not expect much this summer. And if we do end up with two, it will be in line with what I thought was going to happen. Because um, just from the talk, from what Woodward said in April, from everything that's just been said, I think I just thought it was going to be very hard with the way our season was set up, with the way our finances were set up, because we wouldn't know if we had the Champions League money, there were still re- rebates going on. There's, there's still that going on with the Champions League. There's the loss of money from the fans not being there. We had to take our loan just to cover the running cost of day-to-day. And on top of that, here and with the Champions League as well, there's going to be, with Champions League and Europe, there's going to be rebates that are going to be, that the clubs are going to have to cover. So considering all of that and just the way we negotiate and the pace at which we negotiate and the Sancho deal, I thought two signings, three out of push would be fine. And it's looking like that way. And... Personally, in an ideal world, I'd want more, but I just don't think that was going to be possible this summer. So if we manage to get um, uh, reggaeton and then we... we, we it seems really like we have... reggaeton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. That one settled. Damn. <laughs> yeah, reggaeton. And then it seems like we really want a right winger, so it's probably going to... Me personally, I think the Sancho deal is more likely not to be done than not from what I'm seeing. And then, yeah, I mean, if it's an alternative, people are saying Bell, which is not too happy about with his injuries. And then there's Douglas Costa, which injuries again. And then Perisic, just don't like him. So, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Nah. <laughs> You're not happy. All right, Alex, go on. Alex, because I'm relying on you for positivity in this podcast because the other, the other guys are, are killing me softly. Um, so I've got a, we've got a listener's question. How would you feel if we got Bell on loan, obviously, as an alternative to Sancho? You know what it is, yeah, about Bale on loan? Is he going to stay fit 38 games in a season? No. Is he going to be serious? Is he going to be motivated enough to... Bell is not the bail of 2015 anymore. It's not, it's not that anymore. He's not going to slap on the F-50s and, and run through the whole team. At the Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only Wasp buys last C-Store for details. And slap it. <laughs> it's not that anymore. Do you get it? Like, I hear it. Bail on, bail on loan a year. How much are you going to take? 300K? 350K? 400K? Who knows? But like, it's just, it's not even about the money for me. because It's not my money. I don't care. So... 
But at the same time, it's just like bare one. You not care, but you're talking about Maguire eight million. Which no, one? No, no. Which Maguire one is it? eight million? It affected me because it affected other. <laughs> it affected that one. You felt it. You yeah. felt it, innit? Up front, your chest. They, that's robbery. That's that's bottom robbery. <laughs> oh nah, that oh, one. Oh man. Oh, I'm busting up. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say about Bale, Bale for a year. Uh, I don't know, man, because if when he gets injured, Daniel James is back on the right wing. It's peak. Like I know you're looking for positivity. Sorry, Stevie. But but Dan James was Dan James was looking frightening on the weekend. Apparently, come on, man. Oh. Come on, man. <laughs> like I can show you his his assist for Rashford against Norwich. Yeah, he looked good that game. But what has he done? To, like, no, no, no. Let's not let's not get sold the dream. I rather buy the Thiago dream than this one. <laughs> that, that brother. Uh, that's a nightmare. Isn't it? I mean, leave Dan James alone. Uh, he's playing non-favorite <laughs> yeah. position. He played a lot of games last exactly. season. He's alright. No, no, I, I'm not even onto Dan James. I'm not even onto him because Dan James is Dan James. But if you get <laughs> Bell alone for a year, well, it's going to be Dan James and Bell on that wing. Did you forget about Mason Greenwood? Yeah, exactly. You forgot about Mason Greenwood. He really forgot about Mason Greenwood. I forgot about Mason still. It's tough. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to address this. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, that moves me on nicely, actually, to another listener's question, which was, um, uh, Carl, I'll, I'll start with you for this one. Where do you think United finish if one we? This is all our transfer business done, so it's Van der Beek and done. Um, two, if we got Sancho, um, and then three. <laughs> just stop laughing, please. <laughs> three, if we got Sancho. Van der Beek and Regulon, where do you think we finish then? I think current squad, Manchester United can finish fourth. Uh, I don't think there's any particular guarantee that Chelsea will get their Harlem Globetrotter-style attack clicking fast enough. I also think there's a lot being asked of Thiago Silva to shepherd and protect that back four because he's definitely going to be the person that needs to lead that defence. That's a very yeah, quiet you've had us as, hmm? You've had us as fourth, though, not third. Yeah. So you're still back in Chelsea to finish third. Well, I, I, I can't... I, I, I'll go back and forth on this one. I think okay. what's really interesting is what we've got this season is... Um, you've got... We've got the understanding that the top six cannot be in the top four. And we've also got this understanding that the top two are locked down, basically, more or less. Everyone's just sort of like, yeah, City and Liverpool are going to go do their galaxy quest and then we're going to take care of the rest in the trenches. And the trenches will be, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, to a lesser extent, Tottenham Hotspur, we'll see. Uh, and then possibly Leicester and maybe Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think of those, Manchester United are one or two in, in, in that group. So I think top four is definitely on. Third place is definitely on. I think, you know, one of the most important things with Manchester United in its current state is everyone needs to stay fit. Everyone needs to stay fit. Luke Shaw needs to get 40 games out of his body um, Mason Greenwood needs to either start going to bed at 9 o'clock at night or gain <laughs> an extra the tank, balloons alone. Or, or gain an, an extra 10 kilograms worth of muscle because he's going to be needed to play a lot of games this season uh, and I think Nemanja Matic similarly needs to be wrapped up in cotton wool I think those things are going to be really really important but if everyone can stay fit um, third place is definitely on uh, if new recruits are brought in and listen to what I'm saying if new recruits not those players that you mentioned are brought in then 
it goes less from being we're aiming just we'll, you know, we'll be happy if we scrape fourth uh, and more to third place it should definitely be the priority I think it's very hard for me to envisage a season where Manchester United aren't out of European competition by April and it's very hard for me to envisage a situation where Manchester United aren't trying to secure a top four position at the start of May. That's, that's really, if you, to be really, really blunt, what we, we're going to try and fit in 38 Premier League games into a time frame that is five weeks shorter than everything else. The gap between um, the end of Manchester United season, which lasted 370 days, uh, and the start of this season is less than a month. Uh, on top of that, players just have to do international duty as well. Uh, and Manchester United have played, to my knowledge, two games behind closed doors and one, you know, two games behind closed doors, at least one of those games being the Aston Villa game, right? So I don't really have time to put in advanced tactical plans or to more or less do anything more, uh, anything spicier than what he was doing during the present restart games. One of the big things right now is all about keeping everyone fit because also bear in mind there's no uh, there's no winter break that there was last season as well this is all this season is all about churn do you have enough bodies for the churn do you have uh, enough intelligence as to how to deal with the churn is Solskjaer going to be the guy who starts making substitutes in the 55th minute rather than the 62nd like he used to do last season is Andreas Pereira going to figure out what he wants to be is Daniel James going to get is Daniel James going to figure out other ways to take on defenders? Kyle, I can answer that Andreas Pereira question for you, and it's a firm no. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not the one. He's, he's very unserious. Shout out to the scams. <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, um, so, okay, I've, I've, got, I've got a slightly different question um, for you then, actually, because, um, yeah, you mentioned um, Solskjaer's obviously not got time to work on like tactics per se, and um, I was reading on one of you, one of your articles. I think you were talking about transfers not being the be all and end all. Um, and I, I picked up on one line where you said Solskjaer was wanting to work on tactical phases of play for United, and that made me chuckle a bit because <laughs> it's not something it's not something that's particularly renowned with Solskjaer. And I think obviously coming from Southampton, Hassan Hootel seems to be. Um, uh, a manager who focuses on on systems um, rather than individual brilliance of players, which is where I think Solskjaer kind of focuses his emphasis on. And I think if I looked at Project Restart in the first three games or so, I thought we looked particularly impressive. And then past that, um, we were very unimaginative. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on whether you thought that was just fatigue or whether that is just United, because... Past the first few games, I wasn't impressed with us at all. And it looked, um, and I think everyone saw it a mile away, like we were going out in the Europa League. Um, so, yeah, what were your thoughts on that? And then I'll get the boys' thoughts as well. I think it's both. I think it's fatigue. I think, I think number one is fatigue. And I think this is a problem that's gone throughout Solskjaer's Manchester United tenure. So, when he came in as interim in December 2018, United looked really, really good. They started pressing for the first time, rather than for the first time. They started pressing a lot more compared to Mourinho. Uh, they were attacking with groups of three or four players rather than one or two. Look how isolated Harry Kane was. You see that? You see that? You see that? It's happening all over again. Um, yeah, they were pressing. They were they were attacking in numbers, and that was looking really good. And then it got to around like February, and then you remember that draw against Liverpool 
where Ander Herrera got injured, Alexis Sanchez got injured, Jesse Lingard got injured, and then it all just fell apart. That was because it was sort of during uh, a point in time at the start of New Year, Solskjaer took the team away for warm weather training in Dubai, and he basically did uh, pre-season two because he realised the United players weren't fit enough to do the sort of fast, fluid attacking football he wanted, and he needed to get them up to speed, and he did it wrong. He sort of ran them into the ground, they got knackered, and they, the form fell off a cliff once Solskjaer became the permanent manager. And everyone went, oh, it's because they're the permanent manager and everyone put their feet up. It's like, no, they're knackered. They had the preseason, they got better. And this keeps happening with him. Solskjaer very much has his favourites and he very much has a... I don't like using the word philosophy in football and I don't like using the word mentality in football, but he very clearly has a method of playing and he very clearly has a system and a way of playing. Uh, Elijah, I've seen you tweet about how Martial really, really, really likes running inside to out and how he has that sort of thing with Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba knows. Paul Pogba and Martial know. Martial knows when Pogba gets on the ball. If he runs inside to out, Pogba's going to try and get the ball to him. And I think that's a really important partnership. And I think Rashford and Martial are getting a really important partnership because not only are they very, very good forwards in their own right, but their strengths hide each other's weaknesses. So Martial's ability to play with his back against goal hides Rashford's inability to do that. And, Marsh, and Rashford's ability to constantly get forward and to not stand on his heels hides Martial's well, up until about April inability to do that as well. So that's really important. And I think Bruno was really important as well because he was the sort of on-field, oi, press, switch on, and like kept that going. And Solskjaer is very much someone about players rather than playbook, but there are at least four or five very clear attacking systems. And whether or not it's him, himself, Solskjaer, telling the players to do this, or the players working on it themselves but that's good and that's always really good and I think one thing about United more so than I felt from any other United post-Ferguson era is that this is a team that's going to get better season on season because the young players are going to get more time playing with each other like Mark Rashford and, and Martial are going to get better because they're going to understand each other better Pogba and Martial are going to get better because they're going to have more time with each other Bruno and Pogba are getting better because they're going to have more time with each other and Solskjaer you know is very much of that sort of it doesn't matter too much about tactics if I just put really smart footballers on the pitch and tell them, these are like three things you should always do, but if you're in doubt, just do what else you want to do. Because that, that, that's good enough to finish in Champions League spaces nowadays. It used to be good enough to win you a league, but now there's just loads more competition. So that's good. The problem with it is when those players are knackered, right? And when you look at what Manchester City do, you know, Manchester City, no. I, I, I bring this up all the time. Where, when Pep Guardiola went to Manchester City and he started working with Raheem Sterling, uh, Sterling had a tendency to drift inside a lot. And it used to frustrate Pep all the time. So what he did on one of the training pitches was he got some white paint and he painted a dot on the left half space of every single training pitch. And he went to Raheem, every time you don't understand or get confused about what you should do, stand on the dot. And it was that very basic sort of, when it all goes down to pot and you don't know what you should be doing, do this thing. I don't think Solskjaer has that. And I think this becomes really, really apparent when United are trying to score the same way over and over and over again and it's not working. Or when Bruno is tired or when Pogba is tired. When players are fatigued, they start making mistakes. They start getting confused and they start getting the yips and go back to when they were 19 rather than when they're 27. And Solskjaer hasn't quite embedded in that plan of, when things go wrong, do this. Now, this last season, it was okay because when things go, went wrong, they got a penalty. Um, but that's not going to happen this season. I don't need to figure out what happens next. And that's what I think is 
the next plan. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds ominous. <laughs> I, no, I, I really think Manchester United are going to be Manchester United are going to be better by sheer fact of there are more intelligent players on that pitch than they have since maybe Van Hal's first season, and they're going to have more time with each other. And I think a really good observation is I have not once. I don't think anyone here has once heard rumour or conjecture or anything in the news about a Manchester United player not liking the training methods. And think about that in the post 30 years, how many times you've heard about Manchester United players not liking the training. It's never happened on the social. So whatever he's doing in the training session, it's good and it's player friendly. And I think that's really important. It's vibes. Hmm? Vibes are important. You know, if, even, if, even if it's, even it's, if it's no X's and no's, give me vibes. Vibes, vibes are a very important thing about football. It's important, but at the end of the day, if you're just banking on just vibes, hey man, that's a scare. I, don't think I think one of the things, I think what was really interesting ahead of that Sevilla game was that journalists went up to Solskjaer and went, how'd you beat Sevilla considering this, this, this? And Solskjaer puffed out his cheeks. He put his tongue in his side of his mouth and he went, score more goals than them. Of course he did. And that, you know, he was half joking, but that's United. That's, that's... He wasn't joking. That's, that's, <laughs> that's Solskjaer, like, I, I, I never, I never doubted that there was going to be vibes in the dressing room when Solskjaer came. That's, that's him. He's Mr. Friendly. He's Mr. Yeah, cool. Let's just, Rashi, the boys, the lads, you know? You, think, you know? He's just, but he's not good enough. Alex, um, we're talking about vibes, obviously. On the weekend, it's come out that Mason Greenwood's been having a bit too many vibes <laughs> in the last few months or so. First, there's some, some, <laughs> some girls in, um, some girls in, in European countries, and now, now he's doing hippie crack, uh, which is interesting because I also saw um, Mbappe and Dembele doing it, and they didn't seem to get uh, reprimanded by anyone. But obviously, Alex, put your United hat on your your social for a minute. Um, obviously, the first news has come out about Greenwood. You've, you've you've clipped him on the year. You said don't do it again. But now, now he's doing balloons. How do you how do you take that as a manager? What are you going to say to Greenwood? And how do we protect him from what seems to be um, like unnecessary negative news? Um, uh, obviously, when we when the the girl thing came out with Phil Foden, I was like, ah, right, cool, young boys doing what they do, cool. But you see the hippie crap thing, for me personally, the balloon thing, yeah, cool. Obviously, footballers can't do drugs, so they find alternatives, but... When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before. We're hospital grade clean. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask. No Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. I just think you need to be more careful of who you have around you. I think for Mason, it's a thing of you need to just guide him. Like, he's obviously not a destructive boy. He's obviously not, like, rude. He's not, like, insolent, like the Ravels of this world. Sorry. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not that. He's not that. But like, I think you just need to, you need to, because we, we, we put him in cotton wool for so long, like they didn't let him do interviews, nothing. Like, so I was like, cool, this is actually good because if he gets the fire of baptism, baptism of fire, sorry, from the English media, I don't know how he's going to handle it because I know 
his dad is very, very, very in his life. So I think I would play on that a bit. I would kind of talk to the dad as well and put them both in the room together and be like, yo, Mason, you're the future of this club, bro. You need, cool, a scandal here and there. But you know the son <laughs> dig and dig and dig. Your newspapers are going to dig. That video is old. Mason didn't even have a tattoo. He was even skinnier. He's old. I know, I know what the newspapers are on. They went to his friends and said, we'll pay you 30K for a video of Mason, please. Send that. And someone did it. Cool. But at the end of the day, Mason Greenwood, I don't think, I don't think anything is in jeopardy. I don't think this is crunch time. He's 18 years old. 18-year-olds are doing far worse. And cool, that's not a barometer to measure it by. But in the same time, in the same sentence, I can't lie, Mason Greenwood, he's good. He's one of the most talented footballers in the league at the moment. I just think they need to just protect him. Now, from now, from now to the end of the season, it should just be Mason Greenwood getting bigger and scoring more goals. That's all I want to hear, literally. In the gym. Uh, Carl, what you, what's your take on it? Obviously, um, I think the hippie crap thing is interesting because um, it's, it's legal, isn't it? Um, and I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I don't know the negative effects of it, but you've seen players smoking casually um, in times gone by. Why are we condemning this um, so, so wildly? And is it, is, it, is it a big issue for Greenwood now? Uh, first of all, uh, nitrous oxide. I'm not. I'm not going to call it hippie crack because I don't. I think that's an entirely manufactured <laughs> term. term for it that I don't particularly care for. Um, it is. I believe it's class C. Um, oh wow! So I very much. Well, when I was nineteen, uh, <laughs> when I was nineteen and in Iceland, uh, the views around doing it were completely different to how Mason Greenwood is when he's nineteen and running around Iceland. Not to put those two categories together. Um, I think Mason Greenwood is a very, has been a very young boy and has done a number of things that civilian teenagers often do, right? Uh, and and the best the best way I can describe the Iceland situation is he got caught being catastrophically horny at a time when he should not have been. Um, <laughs> should have got it out on the pitch though. Ah, uh, what? Well, uh, to put this in the the harshest, if I w- if I was Mason Greenwood's uncle, or if I was his, and I'm I'm take off my journalist hat for all discussion of Mason Greenwood here. This is not me talking as someone who is paid to write about football. This is me talking as someone who consumes football as a consumer. First, first thing, Mason Greenwood playing for England is your career highlight so far, right? This is something everyone dreams of. You could not wait one weekend. One weekend, you could not go one weekend without girls at a time when the eyes of the world are on you during your career highlight. You couldn't wait one weekend. Be smart. Secondly, the balloon one, yes, that's an old video, so I, I feel less inclined to get onto him. Uh, there have been a number of players that have been photographed taking it. My opinions on that as a substance are coloured from my experiences with it and from what I understand talking to healthcare professionals as to the pluses and minds of it and it's definitely popular for certain reasons um, and it can definitely have cumulative detrimental effects and I wouldn't recommend you doing it if you are a professional athlete and that's that. So the thing about Mason Green is he needs to get to a point where 
damaging things through his career are not self-inflicted because I'm saying this on a podcast with three other black men, which doesn't happen too often, but uh, there will be wounds inflicted upon you in your career as a football player. So you don't need to be adding to that yourself. Like you've got to protect yourself. You've got to protect your peace and you've got to make sure you're making clever decisions because some people are going to want you to fail. Uh, there was a very, very good old conversation between Alan Iverson and Stephen A. Smith about, uh, they were talk- at the time they were talking about LeBron James and they were talking about basically what happens when a young superstar begins their ascent. Uh, and Alan Iverson basically said, what you're seeing, because eventually you get to a point where the people that, are, that have been waiting to hate you get to get at you. Mason Greenwood needs to be sensible. And he doesn't need to be add any more people to that crowd. Big facts. Big facts. Let's hope. Uh, let's hope he just keeps banging in the goals this season on the pitch. That is um, cool. All right, Elijah. I'm gonna come to you uh, finally, um, and then actually I'll get your opinion and Carl and, and Alex to see what you lot's thoughts are. Um, in that friendly. Um, I think Dallo played and um, I'm not sure if he was particularly impressive. I just wanted to get an understanding of what's this guy's future at the club because it doesn't seem like Oli likes him um, particularly as a player. Um, but he seems like he's got much more in the tank going forward than Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Um, but obviously we've got Laird there as well. He seems to be coming through and we've got um, Brandon Williams as well. Um, our fullbacks aren't particularly great going forward. Who would you like to see us play um, this season um, as our fullbacks, I guess, if um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was injured and if uh, Shaw was to get injured, or if Shaw was to stay fit, actually? Wan-Bissaka's injured, then I would honestly play Ned, to be quite honest with you, because the interesting thing about that, that, that I found out this week is that Brandon Williams has played more minutes for United's first team than Dodalo has. And yeah, I mean, that is that was shocking to me, but it's not really that shocking when you understand that he's not played that much this season. Um, he's not played that much professionally at all. Even even when he brought him from Porto, I think he had about seven or eight games before he got injured. We bought him while he was injured. And then whenever he plays, you can see that he's very inexperienced. And he looks, he looks, you you know that he has the technique. So that's just very obvious from the start. But then you don't know if he is an amazing crosser, if he has an amazing pass that can go into the half space, or if he has a made it amazing, amazing cross for the pass, or if he can really dribble past people. So he looks decent offensively, but I'm not sure how. Defensively, he doesn't look good, but I feel like that will come with experience, which is fine. But I'm here, and I'm and I see Wambasaka defensively patterned. I think like if you build if you build the right system system around him, I think that defensively he could just lock down the whole right hand side by himself, which is cool. Then you have someone like Laird, who I've seen for the youth team for for for, for the youth team, and I I can see he has the talent. He's kicking great going forward. He's a, He's, he's able to drill past people. He can put in a he can put in a really good cross. He can put in good passes. He's good with his left foot as well. Like he's got 
all the things that I want from a right back. Defensively, I'm not too sure because you need, you need to see, see them against better players, really. Because against at youth level, things have led. He's quite athletic already, so he he, he can use that to his advantage. It will be nice to see him at senior level against a more athletic player than him to just see how he copes with it. But with Dallo, I just don't really care if he stays or goes. I feel like with him, with him, I feel like he would give things with with us right now. I feel like we're looking at players that we could potentially get some money for just to reuse in the squad. And I think Dallo presents a good opportunity in a position where potentially we can have options there. There's even Brandon Williams, who's actually really more of a right back. He's, I think he only played left back because Laird was so good at right back. He, he went to left back. So at, at the end of the day, we've got enough options at right back where I'm like, if we're able to get good money for the Dallo, I really don't care about him staying. Like it's just not that deep. So you're so see, brutal, man. <laughs> There's no, no love. There's no love for these players, in it. Yeah, I mean, he, you're he, like be good or leave. <laughs> <laughs> if he stays or leaves. No Space one is leave cold. They, they, won't, they won't even know if he stays or leaves. So, oh. but I feel like the thing with Dallo is that he he presents a good opportunity to get good money for him. We can reinvest into squad in better areas. I think. Question, that what's is, good money for Dallow? I think if you, get, if you get 25 mil, 30 mil, I'll be fine with that. 30 for Dallow? <laughs> Somehow, Bro, if we're able to try it. Again, again, years. you know, this is, this, is, this, is the COVID, this is the COVID-19 transfer. Exactly. Window, all right? exactly. Let's bear in mind, let's bear in mind, football clubs win at least four months with not playing football games, okay? Yeah. Bear in mind, one home game at Old Trafford is roughly worth two million in the bank balance, and United went four months without that. Okay, you think people have bare pee? Where <laughs> they don't, they don't. But you just have to convince them. Telling he's young, you know, he's got promise. You know, you know, all those things. If it's, a, if it's a lie, then we file on that lie. Exactly. <laughs> just sell them that dream. Just sell them that dream. Hope dealers. Uh, Alex, Hope dealers. Alex, we might have to. <laughs> we might have to get you in to ship to ship Dallow. What are you saying? What, are you happy with our fullbacks, Alex? Because because obviously you see in the modern game now. Um, you see it with the last two Champions League winners, Bayern and Liverpool. Like their fullbacks, absolutely killing it. Um, we don't seem to have fullbacks who can attack. It seems we're we're a bit behind and stuck in the almost like the nineties mode of defenders, where your fullbacks defend first. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, our fullbacks. Okay, Wambasaka. Let me start with Wambasaka. Yeah. 50 million defensively, probably our best defender defensively. Um, yeah, probably. Um, he's okay. Amasaka is the best 1v1 defender in the Premier League, and that's a fact. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought you were disagreeing with me. I thought I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100. Yeah, 100. But to me, he's our best defender. Like, he's defensively the most secure. Cool. So, what I will say, Wambasaka for me, people are harsh on him. He's young, he's malleable. You can work on him. You can you can sort out his feet. Cool. Can you? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. You can. You, you, yeah. is in the editorial. You, whether or not this Manchester United can. <laughs> no, United. We yeah. shall see. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We don't have. We, you know, the coaching. Our coaching stuff is just vibe. Like, quite good. I oh, know. No, I disagree. It's a good coaching stuff. 
I heard that, I heard that, I heard that professionally. But what was <laughs> <laughs> I heard that still. But, Man said, don't give me facts. <laughs> this is a gender. The eye test, the eye test, yeah. Yeah, eye test. What we see on the pitch. Hey, how many men have improved after they come to Man United? Not many. Do you get it? Oh, you want me to say? <laughs> Fred, 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 McTominay, uh, and the Man United have definitely improved on the social. As has Wan Bissaka throughout the course of the season. There is definite coaching going on, and there's definite improvement on weak areas and improvement on good areas. They all seem to be about going forward, so mm. we'll see. Uh, I, hear, I, I, I hear that, but I don't hear that, but I hear you. I feel you, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the other, um, other fullbacks, um, Brandon Williams, for me, he's a passion. He's young as well, but he's, for me, he's, just, he's never going to be that fullback where we're relying on him. Like, for me, he'll always be a number two, or we just loan him out and just see what he can do. It's nothing mind-blowing. Um, who else we got? Shaw. Oh my days! I've been tired of Shaw since like 2017. Like I'm sick. I'm sick of. I'm sick of Shaw, man. I'm tired of him. Like he was good in that first six months. I think when he, before he broke his leg, yeah, he was. He, he even broke his leg being amazing. Like he was in the box or just outside <laughs> the box. So I hear him like cool, but he hasn't done that since. He only tries to perform when his place is under threat. When Brandon Williams has started four or five games in a row, and Shaw's like, oh no, nah, I need my bonuses. He said, cool. He comes back to his senses. And he tries to do the whole footballing thing again. But Shaw, mm, um, Laird, nah, he's, a, he's a sick young prospect. I would definitely be having him. Fosu Mensah, for me, he can play right back as well. You need he can to play get anywhere. Out of here, man. Fosu- no, 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 don't come with my Fosu Mensah. No. is the guy. Fosu no. Mensah is the guy. You've definitely, you're definitely being financed by him on the side, aren't you? Because <laughs> you actually big up Fosu Mensah every time. What? Fosu Mensah can play right back, centre back, left back, DM, centre mid. So that, so Andres Pereira can play attacking mid, centre mid, right wing, left wing, defensive mid, but he can't play any of them well. And Andres Pereira can't spell his own name. That guy doesn't know what he's doing in life. <laughs> but he's that's Andy Perry, man. That's, that's Andy Perry. We, 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 we can't keep calling Pereira. It's Andy Perry. He doesn't deserve that name, bro. Uh, um, <laughs> all right, Carl. I'm going to come to you then. Um, so. Twofold here, and it's probably going to be our last our last set of questions before we wrap up. Um, so first, your thoughts on our fullbacks and how we can improve, and then second, obviously, you were saying we should play Hendo in the league as well. Do you think like it's it's too far gone for De Gea? I feel like with keepers, once they lose their air and invincibility, they really struggle to get it back. Um, but De Gea, man, he's done so well for us. I've, I've got an attachment to him, so I'm hoping he can pick up the levels again. But history tells me that I'm, I'm being foolish. Nah, all right. Fullback question, first of all. I think the current fullbacks Manchester United have are good, workable. They're, you know, Champions League quality. I don't think they're anything past Champions League quarterfinal quality. But the current state, very good. I think Juan Bissaka's got a very high talent ceiling. Um, he is the best one-on-one defender in the Premier League. What did worry me towards the end of last season, especially in the game against Chelsea and the game against Sevilla, was that teams were beginning to target him. Um, and this is this is a very basketball concept, very basketball playoff concept, where basically once you get to a very high level in any sort of sport, your strength will become your weakness because it gets scouted the most. And it's very clear teams are now scouting Manchester United and going, wan is really good on 1v1 defence. Do not let him defend you 1v1 because he will take the ball off you. So they're going, 
we beat him by the moment he gets on the ball, you press him. Or you beat him by, you double up on him. So Wan-Bissaka now is in this position where he either gets help from his back line or he has to develop. And that won't come, that won't be a big problem unless it's the really big games. I think for 20 games of the season, Wan-Bissaka is going to be fine. I think up until Champions League games against a Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or uh, Paris Saint-Germain, Wan-Bissaka is going to look like one of the best fullbacks in Europe. I think in those big games, in those semi-finals, Wan-Bissaka is going to have problems because teams are going to be like, he's too good at 1v1 double up. On the left, like Luke Shaw, I will, I think, I mean, he broke his leg. And Alex, you said it there, like he's never, he's, you know, he's not been the same level since he's broke his leg. Think about that as a concept, right? <laughs> he broke his leg. He had to relearn how to walk. And yeah, he's not going, he's never going to be Luke Shaw capital letters. He's never going to be the player Manchester United spent 30 million on. He's still going to be a good fullback. Uh, it current links to reggaeton or regulon. Um, I've had a look at the numbers and while he's very good going forward, as you saw in the Europa League semi-final, he's not as good as Luke Shaw on 1v1 defending. And we know for a fact that uh, 1v1 defending is very important to how Solskjaer plays and how they want to work. Now, you know, slight caveat, Sevilla play a different style of football towards Manchester United, but I don't know if Regulon is going to be the defensive player that you want in the pace and power Premier League. I would like another left-back, if only because I'm unconvinced Luke Shaw can manage 40 games reliably. If Luke Shaw, if Manchester United could buy another left-back and went to Luke Shaw, you're going to play 35 games and don't worry about the rest. Happy days. And I think Manchester United probably, I think left-back is probably more upgradable than right-back. <clears throat> That's the full-backs. Now, Elijah, you're muted. You want to say something? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no the, the floor is open. I, I'm not no, saying... No, no. No, I'm just, um, I was just waiting for you to start on the hair tickets because I really want to pile in on him. Uh, so the thing about, so again, you know, I talked about how we've, we've, we're just sort of realising how defending works and we realise how the market works in defending. I think we've also seen that in goalkeeping. And goalkeeping is a very weird science that, I mean, it's only now we're realising it's important to get goalkeeping pundits on TV, on Match of the Day and on Sky, because we realise we should probably get people that have been goalkeepers to explain what goalkeepers are, instead of just saying you can't get beaten near post, which is a myth. You, you can get beaten <laughs> near post. It happens all the time. Uh, it's a myth alongside you should be beating your first man on the corner. No, it doesn't happen as much as you think. Uh, <clears throat> now, the thing about goalkeeping is it requires... Mastery of geometry, mastery of angles. It requires mass communication, possibly in different languages. It requires a weird bunch of intangibles, which are in like some part boxing and some part just like vibes. Like vi vibes is the mo one of the most important things with goalkeepers, right? <laughs> because I can describe, I can keep, I can show you mathematically things goalkeepers are good at, and I can show you things in terms of technique, in terms of eye test that goalkeepers are good at. But there is also vibes and there's also stuff that I cannot explain and stuff that you could never really explain because you, here's one, you know, when a goalkeeper is scared, you do not know when a goal, you, like you've seen a scared goalkeeper, you've seen a goalkeeper and go, that guy is scared and like his vibes are gone. And you've seen goalkeepers where you go, there's no way this guy's going to score that penalty because that guy's vibes are just like locked down. And this is the really interesting about the hair where there was a point in time where the hair was invincible, right? He was a goalkeeping god. The thing I always bring up was uh, Mourinho talks about, oh, I took Manchester United second place in the league. He didn't. David De Gea did. 
right? Every Fact. single conceivable metric for the 2018-19, not 2017-18 season, every conceivable footballing metric has Manchester United finishing fifth, apart from De Gea, who was basically a god. He was standing on his head and doing stuff in terms of goalkeeping that we had not seen in Premier League history. He was unreal. Wasn't but that again, Hmm? Isn't that the season we conceded 29 goals in the league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unreal, unreal. You, you know, think about the, the, the victory over Arsenal. Arsenal. Where Leng, you know, the, the game that made everyone love Lingard. That is built on, <laughs> that is built on David Hayer, right? <laughs> and similarly, you know, in later seasons, the game against Wembley, uh, against Spurs, yes. where De Gea made 14 saves in one season. Like, De Gea was a god. And this is the thing about goalkeepers. And this is the thing I've just said about Wan Basaka. Your greatest strength gets scouted over and over and over and over again, and eventually will be turned into your weakness. And we all knew what De Gea's great strength was: his feet. The fact that he realised his feet are closer to the ground than his body, and that any time you're on a one-on-one, he's gonna, you know, do those octopus limbs and go into like cricket-style long barrier technique and get his body into those right positions. And you saw towards the end of Solskjaer's interim season, so the end of uh, eighteen nineteen, teams went, "Do not." let the hair sort his feet out, shoot quickly, shoot early, shoot before he sorts his feet out, test his hands, and then what happened? All started flying in. And this is the thing, the hair now needs to adapt and improve, or he needs to get help. And uh, the problem what happened was the hair was at one point in time one of the best goalkeepers in the world at what he did. And there was definitely a point in time when Manchester United asked the hair to do everything Right, where Mourinho basically went, it doesn't matter what my back four is because the hair is going to sort that out. Sort of, this is really fun because but it was basically replicating what happened with Real Madrid during some of Real Madrid's years. Like, it doesn't matter, Casillas will bail you up. And then he lost it. And, you know, just like heavyweight boxers, just like UFC fighters, when you get your jaw chest tested, when you have that first big, nasty knockout, it can be hard to come back because everyone knows, oh, that's how I do it. That's how I do that one. And then you've got to go back in there, test yourself, try and evolve and do whatever. De Gea is now in a position where half the league knows if you shoot before he gets his feet set, you have a chance. Quite similar to, you know, Joe Hart. There was a point in time where Joe Hart was, I'm not going to say he was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. I'm not going to say he was the best goalkeeper in the world. But it was a part where Joe Hart, you know, he helped Manchester City win a couple of Premier Leagues. He was definitely one of the better goalkeepers in Europe. And then half the league figured out his weakness. Half the league figure, if you shoot low to Joe Hart's left, he's not going to have to get there in time. And then he, what, fell through the ranks at West Ham, didn't really do much at Burnley, and now he's largely there as a vibes guy at Tom Hotspur. <laughs> Goalkeeping is brutal. And I think, at the moment, Henderson is a very confident man. He doesn't really have the yips. He should be given what he needs to do in the Premier League. And De Gea should be given that space in the Champions League that space in cup competitions, that space in two or three league games when Henderson, you know, again, because this Premier League season is so condensed and you're going to be playing so many games in such a short space of time, I think there are conceivably going to be weeks where Henderson's like, you know what? I've done four or five takedowns from corners and whatnot and my ribs hurt. Put in the hair instead. There is more than enough games in this season for both goalkeepers to get 20 goals each. 20 games each and I think at the moment De Gea should be taken out of the firing line and Henderson should be given a go I hear that um, that's some very useful insight from you Carl there Alex anything to add the vibes guy yeah um, <clears throat> you know we're talking about vibes now but seriously um, today Sheffield got packed in by Wolves at home 
And it made me realise that Henderson, because I, I saw the goal that Jimenez scored before the pod, and it made me realise that Henderson, yeah, nah, he's a big, 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 big reason why Sheffield did as well as they did last season. Towards the end of last season, um, he kind of got, you know, I feel like everyone was just in this headspace of just like, yeah. So it kinda, he kind of looked shaky towards the end of the season, but I definitely believe he deserves a chance. Um, De Gea, like, thank you for everything you've done. And we appreciate you, but like clearly it's he's not time gonna... to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not gonna get any better than 2017, 2016. Do you get it? It's, he's never gonna peak like that again. That was De Gea could have saved anything. That I think he... what's really interesting is no one, sh- no goalkeeper should be asked to be that good. No. Right? That no. is that was unfair. Yeah, that was unfair. Right? It was unfair. What you were asking. David De Gea to do that will you should not ask a goalkeeper to command a, t- a back four that is constantly chopping changing between Small and Jones and by right you should Bye. not be, you should not be doing that you should not be making you should not be making De Gea a guy who kind of wants to be closer to his line have to play super keeper because you're doing suicidal high lines right we asked David De Gea to do everything and he almost, and this is very similar to another Manchester United player, one who wears number six, which is yeah. basically Manchester United buy these players and go, can you do everything in your position? And the player is like, oh, I mean, maybe if you give me enough coffee. <laughs> and they almost do it or they do it for maybe three months and then they can't. And then we all think they're rubbish. And it's like, no, like, if you look at how much work Allison's doing for Liverpool compared to how much work David Hay is doing, it's ridiculous. You've got to bear in mind, Liverpool are currently doing what they do at Burnley, which is where every now and again, Joe Gomez will just like sit back and not attack crosses and hide half of the goal for Alisson. So Alisson only has to protect half a goal. Like it's even tiny things like that. Where like, you know what? This is hard. You're, you cost really loads of money. I'm still going to protect you. Whereas De Gea gets nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's part of what I was going to say. Like at the, at, the, at the end of the day, yeah, I just think like De Gea, yeah, cool. He's done what he's done. It's just time for new blood, new... If Oli's really on this young blood, Man United becoming the resurgent young team, average age of 24 and all these things, cool, why not? Get Henderson in. He's, I mean, he's Andy Strax. He's done it in the Premier League. Let's go, man. Uh, the Hayar, uh, he scares me, bro. I'll be real. When I see a, an attacker one-on-one with the Hayar, I just think, yeah, go. Yeah, I think... Um, I think it's, it's dangerous, though, to... Um... To, to want to put Henderson in straight away because it's it's different level, it's different kettle of fish, different pressures playing at United week in week out. So we'll see if he cuts the mustard because we've had we've had some scary keepers over the years. So um, hopefully, like if he gets the number one shirt, he does well. Um, but yeah, guys, I think that's that's where I'm gonna call it quits. That's where I'm gonna wrap it up. Um, Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Obviously, we're gonna have to. Di- Agree to disagree on your, your Maguire insight. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Look, look. <laughs> that, theory, that theory was scaring me, Carl. You know, hey, you said you said Maguire has to be someone has to reset the market. No, no, no. They messed up the market. That's why. It's it. That's fine. You, you like it doesn't necessarily have to be a good reset. I think Maguire. I think for what he is, Maguire, it has improved. Like he's improved the defense. He just hasn't improved it to enough that you know matches that evaluation of eight million. But if you are listening to this podcast and you disagree, you can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616. And if you want to be really, really mean, you can subscribe to The Athletic 
right now. Uh, new <laughs> subscribers can get one pound on their subs. Uh, it really helps me out if you do that because it gets me to keep the lights on and uh, make takes like Maguire is good and Wan-Bissaka is amazing and goalkeeping is like boxing. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much, Carl. Um, yeah, definitely subscribe to The Athletic. I think it's one of the best um, publications in terms of, in terms of yeah, football articles. And I like all your posts, Carl. So, <laughs> so I think I've earned some strikes to call you back on the pod if you'll have us again at some point. Whenever you want. I'll, um, I'll give you once a month. Just give me some heads up. No worries. <laughs> no, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week after the game against Crystal Palace. Hopefully in positive spirits. Maybe a new signing or two, but let's not get our hope. Yeah, go! <laughs> old dealer push a T and the T is for transfers <laughs> Rashford he's in here he scores Marcus Rashford takes yet another step up the ladder Thank you. and it's a lad from Manchester who scores one man can do only chance in my team like Man U Thank you, man. Bars in my head like shampoo. Violate my squad, might bang you. Only champs in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. Thank you, man. Bars in my head like shampoo. Violate my squad, might bang you. Only champs in my team like Man U. Yeah, like Man U. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto Friendly Crunchy Bars. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Delicious and convenient, both their toasted almond and lemon almond flavors have two grams of net carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein, all in a satisfying crunch. Interested? Ratio Keto Friendly Bars are now available in the granola bar aisle at Walmart. Sports Social Podcast Network.